Welcome to another special edition of the ACG Analytics Podcast. This is David Metzner, Managing Partner. We are continuing our podcast series from home during the coronavirus pandemic. As a result of the following is a lightly edited version of a policy call we have already held. We will now proceed with the podcast. Welcome to this week's macro call. Leading the macro call this week is Chris Erwinski, as well as Gabby Fest, our Managing Director, John Easter, head of research. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Chris Jawinski. Chris? Great. Thanks, David. And thanks, everybody, of course, for joining us. Lots to talk about. I think we're going to focus mainly on Washington, D.C. developments today. Between stimulus and the elections, I think that that will cover us. John, we see the race tightening. You know, we put out in our note that we don't subscribe to the concept of a blue wave. When I say blue wave, I mean Democrats taking the White House and taking the Senate by a significant margin, six to eight votes. What, what do you put the odds of that right now? And can you run us through your electoral base case for what we're going to know on election night? I was on a phone call yesterday with Charlie Cook, who's a veteran political analyst, and I respect him. He sees some signs of a blue wave. I don't believe it yet, but I always respect his opinion. What I see, though, is closer to 51, 52 Democratic seats in the Senate. And so how we define blue wave matters here. If you define a wave as the Democrats controlling the House, the Senate, and White House, then sure, I see a blue wave. But if you define a blue wave as, as when President Obama entered office, and he had a significant pickup in House seats and 59 seats in the Senate, that's more what I would term a wave. So definitions matter here. And you said that Charlie Cook sees that potentially. I mean, what do you put the odds of that at at the moment? I put them at about 20%. It's a significant risk for rule changes in the Senate, which would change the course of legislation for the rest of our lives. You know, we're obviously talking about the filibuster rule, and, and that's really the most impactful thing there. But I do also think about, you know, if there's a blue wave, that means that it's very likely that we would know the winner of the election on election night because it's just such an overwhelming win uh, for Biden and the Democrats. Right now, I don't believe that can, that's our base case scenario. I think that we're still sticking with an over 50 percent probability of a contested election or at least uncertainty for a period of a couple weeks surrounding the election. Do you agree with that scenario? I do. So if on election night, President Trump has lost Florida, and we could see that result because Florida is one of the few states that does allow the counting of early voting before election day. So they are in a better position to report early. However, it's a state that is generally a 1% or less state. And what I mean by that is that you run for Senate, governor, president, any statewide office, you generally are winning with 1% or less of the vote. So they have in place mechanisms that other states do not have in order to count early, but they have a narrower margin than in most states. If President Trump loses Florida and we get the results early from Florida, then we'll know that he is probably not reelected because he, it's almost impossible for him to win if he does not carry Florida. And so based on some of the early data that we have right now and, you know, where the polling is at the moment, I mean, what do you put the odds of Trump carrying Florida at? I actually think President Trump will carry Florida. But there are polls that, that show either Vice President Biden or President Trump winning the state. So I can't have a fair degree certainty there. And it is such a close state. But I am giving the president the benefit of the doubt there about 60 percent, 65. 
it's a strong percentage for a state that has been trending Republican and is such a close state. So I say it with a grain of salt because I know how close the voters of that state are. Okay, so what do you think of, let's say, let's look at some of the other polls that, that are interesting to me. Polls suggest that they are tied in Texas, which is, you know, um, shock, you know, surprising, but I guess not so surprising considering 2016, 2018. Do you think that there's a serious chance that Biden takes Texas? That would mean that the election is over on election night. Yes, and if Democrats ever get Texas as a state, together with California, there would almost never be a Republican president ever again, absent a realignment of parties. I don't believe that Vice President Biden will carry Texas. I don't believe those polls. They're soft. And Senator Cornyn, who's running for re-election, is running ahead. And I don't think that people who show up to the polls are going to vote Cornyn, Biden. I just don't believe that. And so then let's move over just maybe one or two more states here. I, I guess North Carolina is a good place to start. Where do you see the polls trending there? North Carolina is treacherous, and it's one of the few states, one of the other ones is Arizona, where incumbent senator is actually running behind President Trump. That is not where you want to be at all, to my mind, in some ways peculiar. But North Carolina is a swing state, and people tend to forget about it because they say, oh, it's a southern state. It tended to vote Republican in presidential races. It did vote for President Obama for his first term, though, so people should remember that. It's a state where the freshman senator has never been reelected for about 50 years until the senior senator, Burr, won reelection. But he is now under an investigation by the Department of Justice for insider trading. That is hurting Tillis. Senator Tillis has a problem with his base, and his Democratic opponent is everything that Senator Edwards of North Carolina was, but a little bit better in every respect. However, there's now a sex scandal, but it's such a demure sex scandal. I don't believe that it's really weighing too much, but the race has tightened. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I wanted to bring in Gabby to the conversation, too, because you and Ruth have been crunching a lot of this data, looking at voter registrations and early voting. Can you give us a little bit more color on some of the other states that we haven't mentioned yet? I'm thinking mainly Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Can you give me a little bit of color as to what early voting data or registration is saying, it, particularly in contrast with some of the latest polls that show a, you know, a wide margin for Biden? Yeah, I mean, to start, I think Pennsylvania is an interesting example. It's one of the states that Biden is still ahead in many of the polls. Granted, it depends on the poll you look at. But we have seen a significant over-registration on the Republican side in the last four years. He's, the Republicans have actually registered 200,000 new voters over Democrats in the last four years. And of those, 30,000 have been in the last two weeks. So we might still be seeing enthusiasm for Trump that is not reflected in the polls. I will say Pennsylvania is one of the states where we've seen the most discrepancy in early voting and particularly they don't have early in-person voting. So given that we've seen more of the mail-in, there has been a significant margin on Democrats versus Republicans, which has people worried. But I think we believe Pennsylvania to be a very interesting state, potentially the decider of the election and closer than polls could say. John, Michigan has been interesting lately just because it seems like polls have been also getting tighter. I know some of the Trump followers have Trump ahead in Michigan, but would be interested on your take on kind of the Michigan-Wisconsin polling right now. 
Well, Trafalgar is a polling group which is an outlier group. That does not mean that they are wrong. Sometimes the minority is right. And Trafalgar did predict the 2016 election with acuity. So I wouldn't discount their polls, but I would note that they are outlying polls. In Michigan, you have a very robust Senate Republican candidate, and you have a Senate Democrat who's running for re-election. He's not well-known, and he is not of the same ilk as John James. And so that is one of the states where the Republican is ahead of the president in many polls. There was a poll on Monday that showed that John James was leading by 1%. That is of course, within the margin of error, but it shows the enthusiasm for the Republican Senate candidate, and that could transfer over to the president. Whereas in Arizona, we sort of have the opposite situation where McSally is actually trailing and behind the president and potentially could bring him down. When we look at registration, the Democrats have also out-registered Republicans in the last four years. So Arizona looks like a lost cause for the president, and it looks like a lost cause for Senator McSally, who who lost very narrowly in 2018 on election night for the special election to replace John McCain. She looked like she was the winner as they counted the votes through the next few days. It emerged that McSally lost narrowly, so she was appointed. Appointed senators are not always the best candidate for election, but yes, and, and she also has a very strong Democratic challenger. He is beloved in the state. She is the first female fighter pilot. He is an astronaut. He is the husband of former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, who was shot, and so that family has been in the news in Arizona for a while. But immigration to Arizona, particularly from California and the Pacific Northwest, has really changed that state. Arizona is no longer the state of Barry Goldwater. I guess the one other state that is trending blue, but maybe not there yet, which would be a final blow to the president, would be Georgia. And we've been hearing a lot of news about the early vote in Georgia, really, the get out the effort there. John, do you think we're at Georgia flip? I don't think we're at a Georgia flip yet, but I think we're soon to be there. It is trending about 2% more Democrat every election cycle, whereas a state like Pennsylvania is trending about 0.3% more Republican every election cycle. That's also true roughly of Ohio and Iowa and some of the upper Midwest. So Georgia is just moving towards the Democrats at a fast clip, and it will soon be a purple state if it's not one right now. I don't think it's quite there yet based on historical averages, but Democrats are energized. I believe there's going to be at least one runoff in the state. There could be two. That would mean that those Senate seats would not be decided until January 5th. It could be in one of the runoffs that it's two Republicans, the appointed senator, Senator Loeffler, and her uh, Republican challenger, uh, but we're going to have at least one runoff in Georgia. I'm pretty certain of that. One demographic to definitely look at, ACG, we started talking about this probably two months ago, is actually the 18 to 29 age group. And with some kids not at college and the get out the vote effort and events on the college campuses to bring people out, particularly in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, we are seeing that demographic that does lean blue significantly weakened in voter turnout. That, I think, has not, also not been incorporated, but it is a data point that we are continuing to watch.
kind of a counterpoint because I think that the, there's a, there's data out there so far to suggest that some of these demographics that you just mentioned are in fact voting this year and that it's largely you know some of this is a, is a protest vote but we can get into that on it it's an entirely you know longer discussion but I just wanted to ask on Pennsylvania for example we were just talking about how that's going to be a very very important state and and John you know you said that the, the state has been trending Republican by a very small margin every election cycle one the first point I'd say is can you use that lesson, hit that historical lesson, looking at that historical data and assume under the current present conditions that that is going to hold in this election cycle? And then two, if you look at where we are currently, like there's an interesting data point that I've been discussing with, with people talking about unmarried women in Pennsylvania who predominantly are going to be voting Democrat. They're, they're adding a ton of votes this year that are, that's way higher than their turnout in 2016. That type of data, when I see that, it makes me think that perhaps some of these polls showing, you know, Biden up, you know, five or six percent is going to hold and, and therefore that it's easy to say early voting data doesn't matter, but that some of this other surrounding data is very impactful. And so we should be, we should be thinking about that. Well, I'm going to say early voting data doesn't matter. I'm also going to say that even if it did, you couldn't compare 2020 to previous election cycles because you have more Democrats who are afraid to go out. They're waiting for a vaccine or whatever. And some people have been waiting four years to cast their vote against Donald Trump. And so they're turning out, whereas on the Republican side, you have people who are skeptical of early voting, but it's 2020 and comparing it to previous election cycles, I don't think particularly meaningful, but I've, I've never thought early voting data was particularly meaningful unless you see something very strange in the data. In terms of the polls showing Biden had, I do believe that a lot of Democrats are not going to be caught flat-footed again. In 2016, everyone said Hillary was going to win. I think Nate Silver and other people said there's a New York Times said, you know, there's a 90 percent chance of a Clinton victory. I'm glad we were not on that page. But there is still this lingering fear in the minds of many Democrats that they could be wrong. And so they are going to vote now. Biden is perfectly made for Pennsylvania. He was actually born there. He has a strong blue-collar record. He has showed strong support for unions. So he is competing head-on with President Trump with a demographic that President Trump tried to peel away from Democrats in 2016 and did in large numbers, or at least large enough numbers flip a number of states which are like Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin, and he almost got Minnesota. So even if the state is trending slowly Republican, the right candidate is important. I have one last question. What do you make of the historic surge of 18 to 29-year-old voters then so far and the close to 10 million voters that are voting now that did not show up in 2016? That's based on the data. That's the last question there. And then I want to move over to STEM talks. Well, I'd have to look at the numbers. I haven't seen a surge of young people voting, but young voters statistically are going to be Democratic voters. And so in in a tight election, that could be the difference. So I want to move over to STEM talk. Even this morning, you see headlines from Pelosi saying, you know, we're about to put pen to paper. I feel good about where we are. You hear some of that out of the White House, too. And then on the other side, you have Mitch McConnell, who's effectively, you know, he also has, to his part, 
put out mixed messages before saying that we will consider a bill if the House and the White House come to an agreement. But then you see conflicting messages about not wanting to divide the caucus with a difficult vote prior to the election. So can you decode that a little bit? I know we put out, I think this morning, 10 percent as our probability that, you know, it's very low. Chief of Staff Mark Meadows has said we're in like a 48-hour time period for a deal here. At what point, from a procedural standpoint, does it become impossible to get a deal prior to the election? Well, it's not impossible, but tomorrow, Senate Majority Leader McConnell is going to tee up, and actually the beginnings of a start today, is going to tee up the confirmation process for Judge Barrett to be the next Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. That is going to take time. It's going to take time because Democrats are not going to provide a quorum and they're going to try to throw up every procedural hurdle. And that is something that McConnell wants to accomplish before Election Day. So the sand in the hourglass has just about run out. If the bill were something that could pass by unanimous consent or voice vote, that would be one thing, but it isn't. You will have objections, and they would come from Senator Paul and maybe some other members too. And so there just really isn't time to do it. And I think that even Speaker Pelosi has just about acknowledged that without acknowledging it directly. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. I'd also like to thank our team of analysts for offering their unique insights. You can also follow us on Twitter for further insight into capital markets and the political economy. If you wish to reach out for more information, please email us at research at acg-analytics.com. Everyone have a good day. Thank you very much.